You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Now, I'm very happy to have Neil Grossman here with me in the studio. He is the co-founder um, and a former CIO of TKNG Capital. He spent two decades in the financial industry as a prop trader, asset manager, market maker, um, advised the Norwegian Central Bank, among other things. Um, and uh, I want to just start the conversation off on what happened that we're at this point before we get to uh, what we need to do to fix it. Because a lot of people have been saying it's the COVID stimulus that drove this inflation that got us here. Um, but a, a, a new friend of mine from an anarchist from Twitter has suggested, <laughs> and, and I think she's right, that it's really the original quantitative easing that got us in this spot. We've never gotten the hangover from that high. Um. I would say you have to actually go back a little further, Matt. The original sin, honestly, was Alan Greenspan and the irrational exuberant speech, and the concept and the concept that you were going to give the market a put if they weren't if the stock market went down. And so the Fed moved into a situation where I call them a central asset manager; they're not a central bank. And so policy became asymmetrically accommodating, and they were very reluctant. To, move, to, to, to re remove it. Is, is that over now? Is the Fed put done? Because that's what everyone's saying. Well, I mean, it, it's still there right now. 75 basis points is not is, is, is still... I mean, they should have gone probably 3% yesterday. I mean, let, let's take... I know we're getting off subject quickly, but um, the idea that you have a 2 to 2.5% neutral rate at this point with a not 8 or 9%, as they quote the inflation rate, if you want to compare this to the 70s, by the way, and, and use the methodology that was in place back then, this rate would be a lot higher in any event. Neutral, depending on you know who you want to speak to, using more objective measures would probably be between, at this point, 5 and 7%. And given the type of inflation we have, in theory, it's supposed to be restrictive. So they are still providing accommodation. They still have not started to see their balance sheet reduce. So, you know, 75 yep. was nice, but it's not enough. So, so Neil, um, if you think about something more aggressive, you suggested maybe 300 basis points or something along those lines. Clearly, this Federal Reserve is trying to, I guess, balance, you know, fighting inflation without pushing the country into a recession or too deep of a recession. 
How do you think about that balancing act? Well, I think the fact is, is at this point it's very late to worry about the, the economic consequences to growth and employment as a general matter. They have a dual mandate, and basically, and this is one of the things that have gone over time, they've totally thrown that out the door. We have an enormous rate of inflation, and if you want to measure the impact of what 8 or 9%, or I guess we'll have probably 6 to 7% inflation two years in a row, I mean, that's a couple of trillion dollar consequence to this economy. And the longer you go without allowing, without removing the price pressures of that, the worse this is going to get. In, in my view, to be honest with you, um, I think what they should have done yesterday would have been maybe 1%, honestly, 3% somewhat extreme, but I think they should have started immediately reducing the balance sheet and announced it. could have been done at a slower pace. Remember, they haven't even started to, to indicate they're going to sell. They're going to let it run off at this point. The balance sheet is, and that goes back to Matt's first question, quantitative easing, which I apologize, I use, refer to as QS, hmm. um, is a very bad idea. The only reason for, for that, in my opinion, is to actually deal with a, a freezing of liquidity in the market. And that happened in 08, and that's fine, but they should have immediately begun to remove that as soon as the, as soon as the liquidity mechanism I, began to function. I, I mean, I think we can all, we can appreciate, uh, maybe not all, but Paul and I can appreciate your ideology here. However, given the political constraints that this independent Fed faces, and I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see me, which is all of you, um, given those political constraints, uh, how do you respond as an investor? You know they're not going to raise 300 basis points now. This isn't Paul Volcker, and it's not the 70s or 80s, right? So what, what do you do as an investor right now? Well, it's a general matter. Look, it's funny. I've started to – I've been short. I wasn't short enough. I've certainly had a reasonable protection on, but not as much as I wanted because I call the Fed the enemy of the rational. They've been very, very difficult to anticipate if you wanted to behave and, and, and minimize or you know, have a reasonable risk profile. At this point, I think there are things that are opportunistically available if you want a little bit of risk. Um, if you have too much risk on, you better be careful because there's certainly a reasonable chance we keep going down in the short run. I, How much I, further do you think, by the way, Neil? I mean, considering now, the fact that they I think we're probably close to the shorter term bottom would be my view. If you want to take uh, my view on a longer term, I tell people I have an, uh, a patriotically optimistic target for the, for the S&P of 1776. <laughs> Which is way off, right? Well, but, I mean, but, but let me just say one thing on that, Matt. The, the, just for the, listeners who don't know, right now we're looking at S&P 3688. So, right, so it's, it's a long way down. Yeah. But, but you have to understand, one of the main factors in how you value a stock or an asset, is the cost of money. And for equities, which are the longest duration asset, theoretically, the 20-year bond is a very good in indicator of the type of discount rate. You can throw a spread on if you want. The, the long bond is still about 130, which means you have 30% just to, of a potential drop just to get to a 6% yield, which is at least where it belongs now. All right, Neil, we got to have you back on um, very soon. Really appreciate you coming into the uh, Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Neil Grossman there, co-founder and former CIO at TKNG Capital, also an advisor to the Norgus Bank. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. 
Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. All right, let's bring in Brett Donnelly. He is a president of Spectrum Markets. A lot going on in the marketplace here, Brent. Just in the last 48 hours, we've had just central banks uh, really moving pretty aggressively here. So let's start with this U.S. Federal Reserve. 75 basis points yesterday. Perceived by, I think, many market participants as a pretty bold move, but we had a recent guest on, Brent, that said they should have been even more aggressive. What did you make of yesterday's news? Sure. Well, I agree with that, but the reason the market's not really reacting is that that was leaked um, a couple of days in advance. So it's you've actually caught me at a really interesting time because I've been bullish the dollar for about the last three months, um, mostly on central bank divergence. So what you had was a very hawkish Fed pivoting, doing QT, and then you had a lot of other central banks that were very reticent to do anything. Um, for example, you, even the Bank of England, who was hiking, was doing so in a very hesitant way. You had the BOJ not doing anything, Swiss National Bank not doing anything. And now, actually, my view has changed today. Um, I think we're, we could be at the peak for the dollar, as now we're getting – we had divergence before, and now we're getting convergence. So we had the SNB, the Swiss National Bank, hiked 50 basis points overnight, which was a big surprise. And then we also have the BOJ tonight potentially moving their yield curve target. Um, And then you also have the ECB saying they don't really want any more currency weakness, and they're trying to build some kind of anti-fragmentation tool so that they can hike rates while keeping the peripheral debt um, sell-off in check. So what yeah. you have now is convergence, and that, that, I think, could be bad for the dollar. Now, did you say you've been short the dollar for three months? No, I've been bullish. I've been uh, bullish okay, okay. So you've been bullish the dollar, and now you might be ready to turn. I'm just wondering, uh, mechanically, Brent, how you put that trade on. So uh, the simplest way, I mean, I've been trading spot currency since 1995. Really, the simplest way to do the trades is simply to just buy or sell the currency outright. Um, so you can do it through futures, through cash on retail brokerage systems. You know, institutions tend to do it um, in the wholesale market, in the OTC market. But you don't need to do anything complicated. You just, uh, to me, you just can simply sell dollars. People will also do it through uh, derivatives like options. But because the moves have been so wild lately, um, FX vol is very high right now. It's, it's at multi-month highs. 
so it's very expensive. Um, just to give you a flavor, even if this doesn't mean anything, it should mean something, relatively speaking. That overnight dollar-yen volatility usually trades around 10%, and right now, overnight, it's trading at 35% because wow. of the Bank of Japan meeting and because everything's just been going wild in the FX by, by the way, what do you expect from the Bank of Japan? I, this has been so fascinating to watch, and I regret getting a mortgage for my new house at 3.25%. I should have just shorted JGBs. <laughs> yeah, so... Short JGBs is a popular trade right now, but it also makes sense because very similar to the Reserve Bank of Australia, the Bank of Japan is trying to hold interest rates at uh, an out-of-equilibrium rate. So they're trying to hold the 10-year rate at 25 basis points, and really it should probably be you know, triple that. It should be at 75 basis points. And there's a point where the central banks eventually lose the battle. So the RBA lost the battle. The Swiss National Bank lost the battle. The central banks are very powerful, but they're not omnipotent. So I think we're at the point now where the Bank of Japan is going to have to ease off. There's no theoretical limit. They can do it forever. But the release valve, if they keep rates here, is a weaker yen. And now they've explicitly said that they no longer favor a weaker yen, which is something new. I mean, we've had all kinds of historic stuff happening in, in central banks and, and in the FX market. And so if you recall, starting in 2012, uh, Japan was trying to weaken the yen. That was the Abenomics plan. And they've succeeded, you know, with flying colors. They took dollar yen from 75 to 135. And now they're kind of saying enough is enough, no mas. So to me, that means that they need to move. Uh, they, they need to allow yields to go higher. And so whether that happens tonight or not, I mean, then it comes down to more of a tactical decision by the BOJ. So there seems to be, a, I, I would say, about a 35% chance they do it tonight. But it, the, I think it's almost locked in that they do it in the next three months. And so the timing almost doesn't matter because even if they are pinning that one 10-year yield, the rest, um, the rest of the market will just completely come unhinged. So people will sell JGB futures and anything that's not nailed down by the BOJ. Hey, Brent, just real quick, 30 seconds. Uh, how long would a dollar weakness call be, do you think? So I think we, it could be protracted. So the, the dollar strength started with uh, the there is no alternative to U.S. Yep, tech. Yep. Um, and obviously that's over. And then it continued because U.S. rates were moving so much more than the rest of the world. So now neither of the drivers of dollar strength really are, are happening right now. So I think this could be a meaningful turn in the dollar for H. It could last the, all of H2. All right. Good stuff. Brent Donnelly, really appreciate you coming on. I learned a lot. Uh, today, Brent Donnelly, president of uh, Spectrum Markets. He had been bullish on the U.S. dollar, uh, turning negative uh, just today, actually, uh, in response to what we've seen from a lot of the uh, uh, central banks across the world. Again, the Swiss National Bank, kind of surprising the marketplace. Uh, totally with, surprising. Uh, totally surprising. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I woke up to here listening to surveillance. Uh, so, again, concerted effort to uh, raise uh, rates here. So we'll have to see how that plays out. We are live from the Gaylord Texan Convention Center in Dallas, Texas at the BNY Mellon Pershing Insight Conference here. Joining us today, Anthony Sassine, Senior Investment Strategist at Crane Chairs. And we're so happy to have Anthony here with us in the uh, huge exhibition hall here because we want to switch gears a little bit 
and talk about China. We've been so focused on the U.S., the Federal Reserve, other central banks, what's going on with inflation. But we've got to get an update, got to get a handle on what's going on in China. And, Anthony, I'd love for you to give us your 30,000-foot view with what's going on in China, with their economy, uh, with COVID, with we know we have a presidential election coming up, a lot going on there. As you said, thank you, Paul, for having me. There's a lot going on, a lot to unpack in China. Uh, that's why you have to keep on top of it, right? So, so all the global uh, events we're seeing now with regards to rates is definitely impacting markets globally, right? especially with regards to currency, right? But, but if you look at China specifically, and China entered this year with, with the world to stimulate and lift growth. It's an important year for China, and it was working. Uh, they cut rates. They did many uh, stimulative uh, actions uh, throughout the year, throughout the beginning of the year, to kind of lift growth in many different ways, cutting uh, taxes, lifting property, uh, uh, you know, m m giving uh, facilities for property. But then when the lockdowns happen, it kind mm, of, yep. uh, you know, hit progress a little bit. So we're seeing now China stimulate even more, right? In addition to that, uh, you know, the consumer is, is now kind of rebounding a little bit. And, um, and uh, you know, the lockdowns has impacted growth, but now we're starting to see more pent-up demand because income has not been impacted in China as much. Last year it grew at 9%, this year it's growing at 6%. Mm, okay. So you're going to see that money kind of trickle into the economy as lockdowns uh, cease and, and stimulus kind of trickle in. Well, Anthony, today you and I are at this uh, Grapevine, Texas, at this huge convention, lots of people. Yeah. Uh, very few to no mask, uh, seems to be kind of back to normal, yet in China, um, they're not there. And yes. what is the, I guess, the strategy behind the government's handling of COVID, and how do you think it may evolve? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the big wild card a little bit in China, right? So China have a very strict policy with regards to to COVID, it started with a zero policy where kind of uh, locked down Shanghai for 60 days or more. That kind of impacted people living in the area, impacted supply chains across the board, especially with, with uh, electric vehicles and, uh, and other uh, supply chains that are located in, in Shanghai. But then when it happened in Beijing, that kind of moved to this dynamic policy, right, where they were kind of targeting specific areas, uh, you know, doing testing uh, proactively, trying to be uh, more uh, cognizant of the economic impact Right, but that's still still causing a lot of issues, right? Omicron is a little bit different. It it passes through very quickly. It's mm -hmm. really hard. Like in Beijing, we had this one party at a pub that kind of uh, you know resulted in 26 cases, right? And that's going to be hard to contain without a lockdown. So so you know it's a little bit hard situation, especially in a political year where China doesn't want to see uh, people you know uh, sick or lined up at the hospital, mm -hmm. right? So but I believe they're going to have to adjust that policy soon. Uh, you know, in order to be able to, to meet their economic targets. How easy is it for China to control economic growth? It, it, it is easier than other places, if you will, right? It's a command economy. China has the ability to kind of redirect resources, redirect capital to specific industries they want in an easier way than we have it here in the U.S. Uh, or, or kind of in Europe. They have a lot of tools, huge reserves. They have a lot of policy levers to pull, right? And they have a vibrant consumer economy, right? So if they want to, they've done it in the past, they can do it in the future. Uh, although, you know, as the economy becomes bigger, it becomes harder, right? But we've seen this year's numbers start to turn around, right? Like property prices, which were declining since the summer, we started to see that pro turning around. We started seeing fixed asset investments turning around. We started to see, you know, uh, uh, a lot of more interest in the economy, more people getting loans, aggregate financing turning up. So China has a lot of levers that it can pull in terms of supporting its growth. 
but lockdowns definitely kind of shuts down these levers very quickly for an extended period of time. You know, Anthony, Global Wall Street's been uh, focusing rightfully so on global energy prices. And, you know, we got WTI crude oil was at over $120 a barrel. Uh, it's now pulled back here. But, boy, if China fully reopens, that adds a big source of demand there. It, 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 how do you view China's economy now in terms of how much of it is reopened? How far do we have to go to get it fully reopened? Kind of where are we there? Yeah, no. So, so, so at some point, uh, I think uh, 30 to 40 percent of GDP was sh- of, of cities that contribute 30 to 40 percent to China GDP was shut down. Okay. Right. So now it's a lot less. Shanghai reopened. Beijing is there's there are some spots there. So now we're probably at like uh, five to 10 percent of GDP, kind of a uh, little bit in, in, a, in a lockdown. Right. So how far do we have to go? One is you have to relax the policy, just like here. Yep. yep. Right. You kind of have to accept uh, that that you know there's COVID. Uh, it's 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 going to get people sick, but with the vaccine. Uh, you know, the symptoms are going to be less. And the second thing, I think China is going to need to push a vaccine that is based on mRNA technology, right? Today, uh, their Sinovac is based on the, uh, on the, pre- on the past vaccine uh, technology, which is not as effective. And there are multiple now uh, companies, biotechnology companies, who are working on this, but they're not there yet, mm. right? Uh, but, but other than that, we're seeing a lot of work from China. Like now they're trying to end regulations on, on a platform economy, so that's very good for China internet companies. They're pushing with the policies, green tech, green technology. They're pushing the healthcare uh, industry. So, so they're putting a lot of work into the new economy, into directing their economy to be positioned, well-positioned for the future, right? And one of the big things we're seeing now, more interest in, is China, China Internet. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of U.S. investors through Alibaba and through Tencent, they became very invested in, exposed to China tech. It was a great way to play the growth of the middle class. And Alibaba, for example, boy, did they get a rude awakening to what we all call China risk in the, you know, in the risk section of the prospectus. That took me off guard how aggressively they clamped down on the Jack Ma's of the world. Are they, give us a sense of where they are now. Are they going to lighten up here materially, or is this the new world order? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so look, uh, you, know, if you, you have to understand China's culture and China's view of how society, of how they want society to look, right? And they have a very virtuous view of how society should look like. They want to provide free education. They want to provide free healthcare. Uh, you know, they really care about, about their, their people. They want to provide fairness because the gap between rich and uh, poor uh, has, been, has been, you know, has widened a lot. And they want to control this, not control, but to regulate this, this digital economy that became huge, right? And became kind of too big to fail at some point. We're trying to do that here, right? Like we're seeing all these bills come through through antitrust against Google, Amazon, right? right? Facebook, uh, we're seeing the same thing happen in Europe, but, but China as a command economy, they're able to do it. They can so, do that. Yeah, so one thing we underestimated last year and how aggressive they were going to be, right? But they wanted to go as far and get everything set up, and now it looks like work, this is concluding, and we've heard it from multiple people, high up to the chain to yep. the President Xi Jinping. Okay, that's good stuff. Good stuff from the Alibaba and the other uh, Chinese uh, tech owners as well. Anthony Sassine, thank you so much for joining us here. Anthony Sassine, Senior Investment Strategist at Crane Share. See, when you come to places that put a lot of smart people together, you get to meet a lot of smart, interesting people. So that was great to have Anthony join us here. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. 
at Stiefel. It's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Robin, thanks so much for joining us here. This is your first interview with American Media since becoming CEO-elect. So congratulations there. Good luck with this economy. Um, tell us about, as you come into your new role here, what is your strategy? What's your to-do list? We've got a, boy, a, a really volatile world out there, a lot of new things that people have to deal with, whether it's coming back to work, whether it's dealing with the remnants of the pandemic, whether it's inflation. What's your to-do list? Well, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're coming into a CEO seat, you don't get to choose between all those things. You've got, right. to, do, you've got to do all of them. But look, let me just start by saying thanks for being here. It's great to have you here. Uh, our BNY Mellon Pershing Insight Conference is one of our flagship events. It's one of the flagship events of the wealth industry. It's great to have our clients here. It's great to have you here as well uh, in Texas with us. So you think about it here. Um BNY Mellon financial services industry, it's been a great run. If, boy, if you've been an investor, I came into the market in uh, October 19, uh, or June of 1986, it's been nothing but up. I had a couple little bounces along the way. But now we're in a world where it really is challenging out there. Whether you look at the financial markets, the bond markets, the equity markets, whether you look at inflation, central banks, how do you put that into context? Well, as a firm, we touch about 20% of all of the world's investable assets. So wow. we have that vantage point to really see what's going on. And we're really listening to our clients. One of the reasons why I'm here is really to talk to our wealth advisors, to understand what's going on in their worlds and to really push the, the concept of innovation in the wealth tech space. There's so much going on, listening, driving forward, a lot of opportunity. And these volatile markets are an important moment for us all to be staying connected to our clients. I, I wonder what your take is, Robin, on crypto. It's been an incredible crash to watch. Um, but we recently had David Rubenstein on who said, listen, this is still an asset that people are going to invest on and work with, and it's not going to zero. BNY Mellon was a um, one of the sort of forerunners, one of the pioneers of, um, of uh, banking with crypto. W what's your take? Well, 
crypto to me, the at least Bitcoin and ETH, they're an asset class. We can debate whether the price should go up or down, but that's like any asset class. We can always have that debate. But the ecosystem around them, that is everything that's going on in stable coins, tokenized assets, DeFi, the world of blockchain. There's a lot of interesting opportunity there and we're investing and innovating in the space because th this is part of the future of the financial markets. We had an era of paper back 50 years ago. We've been in the era of dematerialized ledgers. Now we're getting into the blockchain and tokenized assets era. I think it's going to be exciting and we've got an important role to play. This is just one of the many assets that has come tumbling down as the market uh, realizes how high the Fed is prepared to raise rates. Um, on the other hand, for a bank, traditionally, uh, higher rates mean um, higher profits. How, how do you react to um, this rising rate environment? Look, zero rates aren't good for most people. They're not good for banks. They're not good for consumers either. And so seeing rates lift off the zero bound is a positive thing. I think it signals the... the course inflation which is we're really seeing not only the spot inflation the 8.6 percent print that we had last Friday but also the forward expectations for inflation which Chair Powell alluded to in his remarks yesterday Inflation's a dangerous thing in markets. It's, it's, it's very important to get a good grip on it. This is a difficult inflation. It's not just demand driven, it's supply side constraint driven. That makes it a little gnarly, I'd say, for, uh, for the policymakers. But as Chair Powell showed us yesterday, 75 basis points is on the case. Robin, one of the challenges for the financial services industry, like many other industries, has been diversity and inclusion in the workforce. Uh, I worked on Wall Street for 30 years and I saw every incoming class of investment banking analysts very diverse. Yet by the time it came to see the list for managing directors or partners, not so. How do you guys think about that at BNY Mellon? Critically important topic. I was just on the main stage here of this flagship conference of ours and I was talking to our clients about exactly that topic. But you know, I'll tell you, from our point of view, 72%, just starting at the top of our company, 72% of our board are women and uh, people from ethnically, historically underrepresented groups. So we feel very diverse at the top. As you say, we've got a lot of intake at the bottom and it's an important priority for us. We're really driving that culture. And it's not just about diversity and pure representation. It's about creating a sense of belonging for people in our company so that they can be themselves, they can be authentic, they can bring their whole selves to work. That culture perpetuates diversity and it's an important part of the story. Robin, just real quickly, last question. Um, you know, what we've seen over the pandemic is just kind of the whole change in how people think about work. Where are you at BNY Mellon in terms of working from home, flex time, how do you guys think about that? So hybrid for me is the future. Okay. I think it's, uh, it, you know, however much some folks may yearn for the five days a week of the past, I personally think that time's gone. I get that we've had a very tight labor market that does give a lot of choice to employees, but we've got all these great new technologies, finding a way for people to have more flexibility in their lives, to be able to combine life and work, even if it's just spending 10 minutes picking up your kids from school, then that's actually good for employees, that's good for the employer. To us, that means several days a week, call it three, in the office, 
couple of days hybrid, we get a lot of benefits by having our people in the office, but we don't need all of those benefits five days a week. We can get it by having this uh, hybrid structure. That's the future for us. All right, Robin. Vince, president and CEO-elect of BNY Mellon. Again, we were at their flagship conference here, the uh, BNY Mellon Pershing uh, Insight Conference here in Grapevine, Texas, uh, bringing all a lot of good financial partners together. People are here. It's packed. They're, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're definitely getting together. I see people sitting down in corners, you know, doing deals, talking business. It's good to see. Uh, Robin, thanks so much for joining us here. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.